Good morning, and welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. For over 60 years, East Central Illinois' daily gathering spot for conversation, dialogue, and ideas. You can join in on the phone, online, or via a text. Our phone number is 217-356-9397. Email talk at WDWS.com. Or text us on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line, 217-351-5357. Now, here's Brian Barnhart. And good morning, everybody. Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts here on this Monday as we head into the last week of September. Great to have you with us. 27th day of the month here this morning on this Monday. And as always, we have our Monday morning quarterback show as we look back at the last weekend of Illinois action. Of course, the Bears played Yesterday, the NFL, the Cardinals continue their miraculous run here at the end of the season, 16 in a row. The Ryder Cup, we have a lot to talk about on today's show. Lauren Tate is with me as usual. Good morning to you, Lauren. Good morning. All right, we've got a lot to talk about, and we're going to get right to it with our friend Dave Revson from BTN. He's got a few minutes with us this morning. want to welcome him to the show. And Dave, good to have you on with us. Brian, hey, Lauren. Both the Good to hear both your voices, and hope you guys well. And hear Gene Honda, by the well, way. Anytime you're introduced <laughs> by Gene Honda, that's got to feel good, right? Yes, it does. <laughs> Makes you feel important, anyway. So that's yes. uh, that's good. Yeah. Well, we're yeah. we're trying to uh, we're a little sad here, Dave. We've had Illinois lose some really close games lately. I think three of their four losses by uh, 14 points total. Uh, trying to rebound from that, it's been a tough couple of weeks. It has been. I don't think it's totally unexpected. I, I think you. Obviously, you know, if you could figure out a way to win some of these games, it makes you feel a little better just in the immediate term. I still think long-term Illinois is going to be in great shape. I love to hire You guys know that the respect I have for him. It does seem like the offense has faltered a little bit here. But there's there's a lot to feel positive about. The defense has played better, I think. Josh McCray is clearly a bright spot. So uh, I, th- I think there's some positive. It's just uh, it's a rebuilding, as you guys know. It's it's. Uh, and, and hopefully Charlotte is a, a game that they can take this weekend and maybe pick up a little momentum then as they go full bore into Big Ten play. Well, we were just talking about, you know, losing these games late and punting and then the other team marching, Listen, in this case, 94 yards, I believe it was, for the winning touchdown. Um, what happens when teams go into that two-minute? I, 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 uh, Graham Crouch commented today that it's amazing, he thinks, how – how effective the offenses are in the last two minutes, and and we often wonder if it's that's because the defense has changed in the last when you're playing against a, a two minute offense. What's your, what are your thoughts on that? Illinois lost consecutive games on late marches. Yeah, I, I guess I, it takes a better X and O person than me maybe to to know the reason why. Um, you know, I but but it has been a frustrating pattern I know for. Illinois fans, you know, two straight games, kind of the decision to punt in the opponent's territory on fourth and short. And I, I think, you know, such a great punter <laughs> that, that it becomes almost he like is. a double-edged sword, right? Yeah. And, and so you know he's going to pin the beep. And then, so so do you almost completely reliant on that? I, I don't know. I mean, um, as, as to the wise, you know, tough to say. I mean, I'd say they were going up against – really good quarterbacks both times. I think Tucker Vailoa is fantastic. He yep. might be the best quarterback in the Big Ten, frankly. And, uh, you know, a, a tremendous wide receiver crew. A couple guys are going to probably play in the NFL. 
Uh, less so the case with Purdue. I mean, their NFL wide receiver was out, as you guys know. Uh, as to why I don't, I don't know, Lauren. I and I, I understand the frustration. Again, I'm not trying to minimize the the frustration of Illini fans in, in either case. I guess I would just say, you know, to me, it's it's a process, and and you kind of trust it and, and feel like you're in good hands with a good coach. And well, Dave, gotten better. I mean, it's dramatically it, it, better than where it was a year ago. I think that's undeniable. That's right. And but if you're raised at Iowa and, and Wisconsin. Don't you think there's a certain mentality that, that you, you can stop a team from going 94 yards in the last, you know, I mean, their, their defenses are such that they can kind of rely on them. And I think the difference is that he, he just hasn't been able to rely on the Illinois. I think most coaches would have done what he did, but I think most fans would have gone for it. You know, I think that's just the difference, don't you? Yeah, I do. I also think it does send a little bit of a message to your team if, if you go for it and you get it. Um, hey, one play. Hey, guys, one play to win the game. Two mm-hmm. yards here. One play to win the game. Let, let's. If we could have been in this position at the very beginning of the day, we would have taken that in a heartbeat. Yep. Let's figure out a way to do it. So I, I get it. I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. But you, maybe the frustration is, hey, this didn't work last week, and now we're going to do the same thing uh, again. I, I think it was a different situation because you know Purdue had to move the ball at all. So and they're a backup quarterback, and you know Payne Durham's hurt. The running backs are hurt. David Bell's out. I, I I still feel like if you know, kind of the maybe it's a conservative play, but it also feels like the the, the prudent play is to do what Brett did and and rely on a defense that has shut them down the entire game and kept them out of the end zone and just for whatever reason in that particular drive it didn't work. Mm-hmm. I we've got uh, Dave Revson with us for a few minutes from BT, and I agree with you, Dave. I think we've got the right guy in place with Bielma. It's going to take time. He's reestablished the contacts with uh, the Illinois high school coaches. Um, but it is going to take a while, I think. Yeah, I think so, too. Although, I'll tell you what, Brian, I think the paradigm has really shifted now. Mm-hmm. All you have to do is look at Michigan State. Like, it's different now with immediate eligibility for transfers. So, used to be, and by you know, used to is like two years ago, and, and you know, for all of time before that, that you came in and, as you said, recruiting, you had to go and recruit the high schools and build up those relationships and find some young developmental players and take a few years and get guys to buy in. And then maybe you worked the grad transfer market and you found a few guys who could help you right away. And maybe you went out and got undergrad transfers, but they were going to have to sit out. And so you don't turn things around in two years, or you did before. And now you look at Michigan State, and if you do this the right way, you can turn it around in, in two years. I, I don't think you can turn it around in a year. I mean, I just think it's it's too hard. And, and I think Brett did the exact right thing, which was you look inward in year one and you try to convince these players who could go elsewhere not to go elsewhere and get them to buy in. And, and I think you and I have already talked about this in, in the offseason that I think that's a great model. And I think it speaks volumes about Brett and about his staff, and about the way they sold these players on their vision that players who literally could have gone anywhere and, and, and all right, I go, I'm going to play for a team that, you know, maybe I'm, a, maybe I'm a spot starter, maybe I'm a reserve on the team that's competing for a conference championship and going to play in the postseason or whatever it is, or I stay here and I'm part of, the, of a rebuild and maybe I don't necessarily reap the, the benefits of that, but, but I feel like I was a part of something and I can look back in a few years and say, hey, man, we started that. We started it by staying. 
that's a hard thing to convince young people to do in this day and age. So I think it speaks a lot about Brett. I, I, I have not given up uh, in any way on this Illinois team. I, I still think they have a chance to do some things here uh, at the end of the year. They have some eminently winnable games coming up, particularly given how wide open the Big Ten West seems to be. So, but but again, you know, the this coming off season is a huge off season for Brett and his staff because next year. Michigan State shows you you can be competitive in year two and good in year two. Before I let you go, Dave, just want to get your thoughts a month into the Big Ten season. You mentioned Michigan State, uh, probably a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, Any other things, themes developing you've noticed the first month? Yeah, Brian, I just think it's wide open. Uh, I think both divisions are wide open. I don't think that we've ever been able to say that. In the time, well, I mean, when we started the Big Ten Network, there were no divisions. But uh, in, the, <laughs> in the time that we've had divisions, <laughs> where we've been on the air uh, on the Big Ten Network, I don't think we've ever been able to say that it's wide open on both sides as it is this year. I mean, I, I think you can make an argument for probably three or four teams on each side. And I think that's kind of what's going on around college football. I mean, you know, guys, you look at this sport and – I mean, 25 ranked teams have lost through four weeks. That is the most in the history of the AP poll. I mean, we've had ranked teams, which goes back to the, the mid-19s. So we have upsets all over the place. Have, you know, games really unpredictable. Yep, you're right. And, and, and I just don't know. I, I think it makes it great. It's certainly great for us in television, right? where you just say, man, every game that we've got is compelling. You, you've got teams that are going to be in the division. Uh, well, what it means for the Big Ten in terms of winning an actual championship, college football, any of those things. But, but that, to me, is the biggest theme, just how unbelievably wide open it is and, and that you could create arguments for you know, probably a half dozen teams or more to win the Big Ten, and, and we haven't seen that in the past. Yeah. Well, Dave, I know you got some other assignments to get to. We appreciate you giving us a few minutes this morning. Just wanted to get your thoughts right off the top and uh, keep up the great work there at BTN. You guys do the same. Thanks, Brian. Thanks, Thanks Lauren. Thanks, All Dave. Right, pleasure to talk to you both. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate it. Dave Revson with the uh, Big Ten Network. So there you go, his thoughts on uh, Illinois early and the Big Ten Conference in uh, general. All right, 914 at DWS. Hang on, callers. We'll get to you here next as we continue on A Penny for Your Thoughts, our opening timeout. We'll visit with Lauren here up until 11 o'clock. Sheffield deep. Hayes deep. Back inside his own seven-yard line at the six. Rush comes. Left-footed Australian gets it away. Booming kick. Sheffield going after it. Inside the 20. Inside the 10, but it's rolling too fast. Goes into the end zone. And the Illini, that ball was faster than the Illini special teams unit. They were trying to run it down. It's listed as an 80-yard punt. That was a boom. Unofficially. He's going to net 60. (laughs) Well, Lawrence Tate, we haven't seen many 80-yard punts. Plus in Illinois history, Boy, did he boom that punt. Hayes is unbelievable. Wow! <laughs> Doug Edelman had eighty-eight and eighty-six. Yep. But yep. Uh, there's only seven. It was tied for seventh all time. Eighty 
plus yard. There wasn't punt. a great win, you know. I'm I'm sure when when Dyke was kicking, and and you know, I keep bringing up the point that they kicked off and on third down, he'd he'd move in there and they'd have no safety back, and the ball would hit going. It always would be going south to north those long kicks, and they'd hit and then they'd bounce another twenty yards, you mm-hmm. know, because there was nobody back there. And uh, Dyke had some really really long ones, but my. And, and I'm sure they were one dated, but uh, this one was a little different. Yeah, he and just it, kicked it right over the safety's head. I know. <laughs> and it would have been better in the case of strategy if it had been a, like a yard shorter. Oh yeah. But it was still an impressive kick. So yeah. that's uh, that's something else. So nine nineteen. Well, I I do think there's a when when you consider all the factors and and in, in, in these decisions that are being made, Hayes comes into it. I mean, when you got a punter, not only did he kick the long one, but he kicked the short ones really well mm-hmm. down inside the 10. I mean, when you can do that, that's I, – I just remember, and, and I know I'm going way back here, but Gary Moeller came from Michigan, and he would tell me the percentages of how – how, what are the percentage of you marching for a touchdown from the 50, from, from 60, from 70, from 80? You just don't go from 90. I mean, the statistics of, on right. marching for a touchdown from, with 90 yards to go are really low. But, again, in the two-minute offense, it all changes, doesn't it? It does. Seems yeah. to. Prevent defense. They say it, it – I mean, not and what you yeah. – I, I know it wasn't that for Illinois, but what I'm saying I is – I couldn't see that. I, I yeah. think that, you know, the game did have a lot more time. I mean, that started with nine more than nine minutes to go. So it wasn't like it was in the last ditch, but it was right. – I felt like it was <laughs> – <laughs> and uh, they kept completing those short passes over the middle too, mm-hmm. which is an Illinois vulnerability clearly. And the and the winning touchdown was right over the middle. And the touchdown was on third and seven, by the way. Yeah. When they scored the fourteen yard touchdown. Yeah. All right, we'll talk about the game, the decisions, everything involved in the game here as we go along. I think Mike is jumping in here first this morning on a penny for your thoughts. Monday morning quarterbacks. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hey, um, I've got a different perspective than what I've at least largely seen and heard on from all the the hindsight 2020 armchair quarterbacks on the fan shows and stuff. If you, if you permit me, let me just go through the three options. You know, if they kick a field goal, it's a long field goal, might not make it, but even then it's 12-6 and the final touchdown would have beat them anyway. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't because Illinois got back within field goal range. You're right; it could have beaten them. But when you when you score that early, Illinois had plenty of time to get into field goal range, which they did. Yeah, good point. I hadn't considered that. That's a good point. But with regard to going for it, if you look on the stats for that game, we were five of sixteen on third down conversions and one or zero of one on fourth down conversions. You know a good percentage of those were short yardage. So for that game, we had not shown that we could get one yard consistently. And well, we, I, we, didn't have many fourth, missed, we didn't have many know, fourth and ones that I remember. Do you remember, What's Brian? What, well, what Lauren, what Lauren was third saying and, is we I mean, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't remember too many third and shorts, but I do remember there were times when – there was a couple of times at least where – Maybe when McCray wasn't in there or whatever, we would have a really short gain on third down. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Is that what you remember, yeah. Mike? Well, I just looked. The stats were 5 of 16, and, and yeah. you know, odds are in normal games, a lot of those are going to be third and short situations, and we were 5 of 16. But I guess what I would submit, and I think most seasoned coaches would agree, this is my opinion, 
we had, you know, we hadn't shown that we had could move the ball on offense. We knew we had a weapon in Hayes that he could put him inside the ten. And as you guys were just talking about, the odds of going ninety-five yards, especially when we've been stopping Purdue's offense all game long. I think Bielma played the best odds. It didn't work out the way we wanted it to, but you know, but for that decision, I think it's totally arguable that it was a correct decision. Okay, the, the one, the one, the thing I go back to, it was the thirty-four yard line. Thirty-four yard line. I mean, it I, been the, it I a, got a rule: I'm never going to punt the ball from the 30, other team's thirty-four yard line unless it's just fourth down and a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. I mean, thirty the thirty four yard line. I mean, when's the last time any? When when do you see a team punt from the thirty four yard line ever? When it's near the end of the game and you only got a few minutes and you think your defense can stop them. Well, you're giving me this one example. You're You're giving me the example of Saturday. I understand Saturday. I'm just asking you look back in history, look back at the games, all the games you see played. How often do you see a team punt inside the thirty five yard line? I totally agree with you. But the decision was based on what had happened that Saturday. Mm-hmm. And our defense had played up to it. Offense had not. We had no confidence we could get a yard. Mm-hmm. So I, I think he made the right decision mm-hmm. despite the armchair quarterbacks, which are always going to go the other way. Well, well yeah, that may f- be, but there might have been people screaming, oh, please don't punt, please don't punt like <laughs> me. <laughs> well, the, the interesting thing is that they looked like they were going to go for it. Yeah, they did until and, they and, called And the play out. clock was running down, and they had to call timeout. Yeah, they had second so, thoughts on it, didn't they? Mm-hmm. I, I would submit that if he had gone for it and hadn't gone it, everybody would be screaming, hey, we got the best punter in the nation. Why didn't we just punt them deep and let the defense do what they've been doing all day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I, I think he's thinking. I think that's what Brett Bielma was thinking the whole time and uh, make them go 90 yards. And the difference is uh, this game was there was still like eight, nine minutes left in the game. So there was still plenty of game left. But anyway, I just it was funny because I saw the Cleveland Browns go for it on fourth down twice early in the game, early on. And, of course, fans always want to go for it on fourth down for the most part. So it's an interesting um, dilemma. Hey, thanks, Mike. Thank you. Good stuff. Good to hear from you. 217-356-9397. Texter says, uh, "Pretty sad when your punter is your best highlight." Uh, well, <laughs> I think a, yeah, he was. But he's all, a good uh, one. McRae was really good. McRae was really good. One hundred and fifty some odd yards. I think the disappointing thing to me was uh, was uh, the passing of of uh, Peters, particularly in in the last three passes that, that he basically just mm-hmm. overthrew. So I mean, they weren't even. There's no possibility of catching the ball. Uh, Howard may have a thought on that. How you doing, Howard? Yeah. Lauren, my, my thoughts was leading into a quarterback change. What do you think? I think I'd like. I told uh, I told Brian earlier. I'd like to be in the in the quarterback room when they discuss it. I don't think they'll do it, but I I think it'll come up for discussion. They've only got one choice, and that's going back to Sitkowski. I mean, you can't go Williams, and you can't go. I don't. There's no indication that they're interested in in, in using Robinson. So it's either Peters or Sitkowski, and they are convinced that Peters has a stronger, better arm. Well, his, his percentage rate is awful. It, we're going nowhere with him right now. I know. He's like completing three out of ten. I know. It's, it's really bad. I, yeah. think, yeah, I think. I don't think he's as good this year as he was last year. Well, yeah. And that, I, that I, halfback I, toss that they run with Isaiah, I mean – 
Peters was wide open. He made a really a lame effort on trying to get to that ball. Well, I don't know how close I, it was. I, I, mean, I know Isaiah threw a bad pass. It wasn't close, but mm-hmm. I mean, you get some way or another, you got to get your hands on it. He didn't even he didn't even touch it. I don't think. Well, the uh, Purdue coach uh, decided to pull his quarterback, and of course, uh, Aiden O'Connell came in and threw a pick right away. <laughs> so you never know. Two of them. Yeah, Two of them, yeah, as I, it turned I hate out. To get beat by a third-string quarterback. Yeah. It, it it really galls me when we lose to teams that we should beat. That's what I. Yeah. I mean, there's no way that we should have lost that game. I mean, it, when we had that, the clock was winding down, and the game was almost over. What was it, third and four, Lauren? I mean, couldn't Bielema couldn't huddle them up and say, "Guys, we have to have this first down." I mean, everything is riding on it. I mean, can't we? Couldn't we take a chance and try to get it? I mean, he he did the same thing in the Maryland game. Didn't he learn anything from one week to the other? Well, I think that. And you made the comment, Lauren, that when it's late in the game, other teams want the ball. And so what do we do? Do we turn right around and give it to them? Two weeks in a row. And I, I think the one thing you have to consider when you when you punt and you say, okay, we're going to rely on the defense, what is it about Illinois' pass defense that makes you think that they're going to stop them at the end of a game? Well, I don't know. Ray Charles could cover some of the guys better than what our our backs are doing. I mean, they're just, it's like phantom coverage out there. There's nothing there. Hmm. All right. Thank you, Howard. All right. Got to move on here. Appreciate it. 928 at DWS on a penny for your thoughts. By the way, if you are a first responder, the uh, folks at Castle Home Comfort would like to assist you in a, in a great way. Eighty nine fifty for a tune-up of your furnace and your air conditioner. Together. You can do them both. Two for the price of one. Eighty nine fifty tune-up for your furnace and air conditioner if you are a first responder. So make sure you reach out to the folks at Castle Home Comfort. 217-352-2800, 217-352-2800, locally owned and operated. Of course, they always have the $79 service fee. No matter what time of day it is, technicians on call, 24-7. Our goal is your comfort. That's their motto. They've been doing this for a long, long time. Decades. Castle Home Comfort. Give them a call, 352-2800. Let me get a break in here. We'll come back. Michael Kaiser has some news. More phone calls, emails, and texts. A lot of texts talking about the quarterback on a quarterbacking show. And for all the Justin Fields folks out there that wanted to get a rookie in there and get him, throw him out there, and let's go with the future. Well, he got sacked nine times yesterday. That's not all his fault, but he's feeling it today. Back in a moment. Hey, it's Scott. After a busy weekend of sports, join us for Sports Talk this afternoon. We're in studio at 4, live at the Esquire at 5 here on DWS. They tried this the other way. Let's see how it goes this time. Snap back. Kick in the air. It is up, and it is good. He got it. And the Illini lead for the first time today at ross Stadium 9-6 over the Boilermakers early in the fourth. Big swing. All right, James McCourt with three field goals. I know Lauren Tate remembers the uh, Dan Beaver game in 73 when Dan Beaver single-handedly beat the uh, Boilermakers 15-13. to 13. That was he, five field goals. Made Alex Agassi mad. He said he wasn't even a football player, and he, lost, and he beat us. <laughs> <laughs> so, so there was that reference. So uh, during the course of that game, because Kent Brown came into the booth at halftime, and he goes, now you've, you've used the Dan Beaver reference, haven't you, already? And uh, 
you know. And then, of course, Dyke Edelman's came, name came up, of course, with the long punt. So it been uh, it was kind of interesting. Yeah. Nine thirty-eight. All right, a lot of comments here on the fourth and two and, and other things. But I did have a question I wanted Mike Hale to help me out with. Uh, let me find the right question here. Hang on just a second. Okay, here you go. Hi, Brian. Do you know why no one is broadcasting Bears games on radio locally? It is, of course, on WBBM in Chicago, 780. Uh, is it too expensive? And, Mike Hale, you yeah, have the answer? Yeah, my guess is, and I, I can't speak for what this year or last year is, but, yeah, you, you have to pay a rights fee, and they want all the games cleared. And in mm-hmm. our situation, uh, we we would not be able to do that. What has compounded uh, the Bears situation is the fact that WBBM – earlier this year dropped their power from 50,000 watts to 35,000 watts. In fact, I was just having a discussion with somebody this morning about this. So it does not have as strong a signal in Champaign as it once had. And what happened is, is the transmitter site where WBBM is, the property was so valuable that they, they have sold, they're, they're in the process of selling off the property and put, so they put WBBM on the same tower that the score is. And if you've noticed, the score signal is not quite as strong here as it once was. That's because they're doing what's called diplexing. Mm. But I know some station, uh, the station here locally, did carry the Bears broadcast right. up until, what, a couple of years ago or, right. or so? Right, Okay. But I hate yeah. to say this. They're just, it's tough to, Bears are a tough sell. Hmm. Really costly, huh? Yeah, but it is, it's a cost, you know, if we had the opportunity to, I'd look at it as a, I can say this now, I'd look at it as a break even opportunity. Hmm. Okay. So, you know, if I can, if I can cover my expenses for Sunday afternoon, the problem is they want all the pregame, the preseason games, and that conflicts with volleyball and it conflicts with other things that we've got that are much more important. Okay. Well, I just wondered. I figured if anybody knew, it'd be you. So, and you know who has the largest broadcast uh, audience in pro football? Has more affiliates than any other team in the country. Dallas the Cowboys, Kansas City Chiefs, the Kansas, Kansas City Chiefs. Is that right? <laughs> Not yeah. the Dallas Cowboys. They're in more states than, and they have more affiliates than any other. Uh, pro football. Now, program. you were there yesterday. What's the status of Reed at this point? After, I'm sorry, what was What's the status of the coach, Reed, after he yesterday? He had dehydration. He took him and, out with a... Yeah, they, he took himself out. He okay. went and talked to the players after the game. And Tyron Matthews said, I didn't, it didn't appear to me that anything wrong. But just when dehydration, he, huh? he, When he left the room, he just said, I don't feel good. Somebody get me to the hospital. So they hmm. took him by ambulance. And I... They have not looked this morning. I don't know if he stayed overnight. My guess is he did, but uh, yeah, he's the team says he's fine. All right, okay, that's good. Thank to hear. you for asking. Well, I got yes, I, I got some numbers here. Okay, I just checked them. And, you know, the caller called earlier and said that we uh, made five of sixteen third down conversions. I want to tell you how long. First of all, Illinois had a, a large number of fourth down opportunities, and they punted or kicked. Every time except the last time, the last pass of the game, which was on a fourth down. Okay, so they were 0 for 1 in fourth down conversion. Here's here's the status of third down and the reason why we don't have any really uh, background to say what we would have done on 
fourth and two because on third down, third and, the first chance was third and ten, third and nine, third and sixteen, third and six, third and eleven, third and six, third and four, we made it, third and four, we made it, third and five, third and two, we made it, third and twelve, third and four, and the third and three was directly ahead of the fourth and two. Okay. So we only made one yard on third down in that situation. There were any all kinds of indications that when they knew we were running that they could maybe stop us. And yet, at the same time, we gained a lot of yards on the ground in the course of the game. Now, McCray wound up with 24 carries. 24 carries, 150, 150-odd yards, and, and uh, that's a really good day. It really is. And there were times that he was not in there. You know, that's you'd right. have different Norwood series. In there, you know, uh, Norwood or Love. Reggie Love. Mm-hmm. And I know some people were wondering about that. You know, why did why not just keep McCray in there? But twenty four carries is a lot of carries. Yeah, these I mean, days. he I mean, probably he is a freshman, and he is. This is just the second game that we've really been aware of just exactly what we had there. I think. Yeah, he is uh, very very tough to bring down. I. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he just he hits the hole quick. He's got good vision. He just um, he's got that complete package. It's exciting going forward. What, yeah. what we've got there. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, and and I, as I mentioned earlier, Bryant came in. Uh, the other freshman mm-hmm. came in and, and caught three passes in the final drive, which could have uh, hauled the game out for Illinois, but uh, of course it didn't. But uh, catch, I think that the fact that they relied on him to be in the game in the fourth quarter indicates to me that Bryant's going to be a factor from now on as a receiver. I think so. All right, let's go back to the phones here. Alan is with us. Good morning, Alan. Morning, guys. Uh, before we get to football, it's amazing what the Cardinals have done, you guys. 16 of well, who, yeah. who would have thought that two week, uh, three weeks ago? Especially in baseball, it's the variables are so much every day, day to day, that you just to put together 16 in a row is just unbelievable. Yes. What's well, the third in history, well, isn't it? The third longest? Yeah. Uh, going to football. Mm-hmm. Two weeks in a row now that where they, we played to lose, not to win, and that's really aggravating. Lauren, there is one thing you were definitely right about last week. Brandon Peters cannot carry this team to a win. He just can't. I wish we would go back to Isaiah Williams as the quarterback. Now that we've got McRae, see what we can do with that kind of an attack and. Williams can make a pass or two here and there when we needed it. I wish we could do that. As far as I'm concerned, Peters has done. Uh, Mike Epstein, he might as well pack his bags and go home because we've got the running backs we need now. Mike Epstein can't stay healthy, and he's not as effective. So uh, it's just two weeks in a row where our play calling was lousy. I couldn't figure out why McRae wasn't in there on some of those short yardage situations when we critically needed it. Uh, Boy, what else can I say? Hmm. I'm just afraid we're going to end up losing Isaiah Williams and maybe even McCray because they don't feel like they got anything to go around. That's what I'm worried about. Well, I think one thing that that Bielema has shown is his ability to influence the players. He's ha- he's he's got a lot of players playing for him that wouldn't or not would ordinarily wouldn't have played uh, with Illinois this year if 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 we hadn't made the change. And uh, 
I I think that uh, McCray is going to be a, a strong factor here for a long time. I I think. I, I just don't know what we're going to do for a passing offense, and I'm not sure the pass defense is what we need either. I, I, but we'll see where we go from here. I, I don't think they'll change quarterbacks, but I'll be anxious to hear what the coach says today at, uh, at the meeting. Uh, at, we'll, we'll have a press conference today at 1 o'clock with uh, Bieleman, and he'll tell us, I think, one way or another. But mm-hmm. Well, how many chances do you give him, Lauren? I mean, we have gave him three or four different chances. Even Bieleman has given him a chance come back and take over for Sikowski, he just can't do it. I mean, uh, his medium throws are off. He's better throwing the long ball than he is throwing the short ball. Uh, and he's not even running anymore. I mean, he used to run a little bit, gain those yards. When That very last play, that we, as soon as he turned went left, I knew we were done then because he cannot go left and making a play going left. He just can't do it. All right. Thank you, Alan. That's all got. Good stuff. Thanks. Thank you. Appreciate it. Uh, got some more text here. An email says, Good morning, gentlemen. Is it possible that Bielema has already lost faith in Tony Peterson? And the reason Bielema has not chosen to go for it on fourth down, fourth and one, fourth and two the other day, Tony Peterson has proven to be a bad play caller, and someone else should call plays the rest of the year. Thank you for your great play-by-play, though, on Saturday. Okay, well, thank you for I that. I will say that... Uh, Tony's not making the decisions on fourth down. That's Bielema. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they, they present him with their they, thoughts and his exactly evidence, right. and then he's the one that calls and You it. make the choice, and then I'll try to do my best. Because I, I remember what uh, Peterson said, the play caller, for the previous game when he said, on third down, we thought we were going to go for, for it on fourth down. And the play on third down was predicated on the fact that if we didn't make it, we were going to go for it on fourth down. But... Uh, Bielema changed his mind. Yeah, because he said... He I think he, said we were in four-down territory. I think Peterson said last week at the podium that they, they will tell each other, hey, this is a four-down series. Yeah, and that's what... And so they've called Biel, the plays Biel, based on that. That's exactly right. And then and then uh, Bielema changed his mind after... Which he has every right to do, and, and uh, it could have turned out fine if, if the defense could just hold up. Uh, you can crit- a texture says you can criticize Peters for plenty, but claiming he should have caught the ball thrown by Williams isn't serious conversation. <laughs> <laughs> no, that is not serious conversation. Uh, I was astonished the texture said to read in Lauren's article yesterday, Bielma would said he would make the same decision to punt 100 times over. Uh, so making the wrong call is what he could do every time? That is the absolute wrong answer. How do well, we feel he's the right choice? How about a quarterback who can play two? Peters is not that guy, but. I don't think that Bilma felt at all that he made the wrong call. I think when you force a team to go 94 yards, um, uh, from a coaching standpoint, I, th- I think he felt that was the right call, but, and, and he would have made the same call again. But that doesn't mean we all agree, and, but he had the call, and the rest of us are just watching. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and like you were talking about, he played for Hayden Fry. Mm-hmm. He's worked at Iowa. He's worked at Wisconsin, where those teams had great defenses. And that from his perspective, I'm sure, and he's playing it that way, he's used to doing it that way because Absolutely. you're going to pin people deep Absolutely. and make them drive 90 yards. If you, ask, if you ask Hayden Fry how he would have played that, he would have played exactly like Bielma did. And the current coach at Iowa and the current coach at Wisconsin would have done the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the thinking, and I'm sure in his mind, and you know, he's – the one making the call that the percentage was, you know, instead of having them drive 60 yards, have them drive 90. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, and unfortunately the defense had played well, and that's a story that's developing here as we go along. That and I realize Purdue didn't have Bell, and they didn't have you know a couple of different pieces, but the Illinois defense the last two weeks, when people thought going into the game is like, uh oh, we're going to get shredded, they played really well. Played well right until yeah. the final drive. Yeah, really did both weeks. Yeah. All right, 9.50, better get a break in here. More phone calls, emails, and texts on a Monday morning quarterback show. We had Dave Revson off the top for a few minutes. He was encouraging Illini fans to hang in there, and we've got the right guy in place, and things are going to turn. And Michigan State's a great example. Nobody gave them any hope. They're undefeated. You've got Maryland undefeated. And uh, that Big Ten East is wide open. Big Ten West is wide open as well. 9.50 on DWS. Now, one member of that defense playing well is Kirby Joseph. He's and he's been he's doing great on up special with big teams. Big plays all season long, including the Nebraska game, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think over so. I, I was brought up to uh, Bielma that he had made some big plays, and Bielma said, "Yeah, but he also had a couple other plays that weren't as good." But nevertheless, he's 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 done some big things. That was a nice interception he made. We uh, texter says we are so much more in a position to win than we ever were last year. Disappointed we lost, but appreciate a coach that has taken the same players and has them leading and competing when they were double-digit underdogs. Trust the process, support coach, and the players. So there you go. And we've got somebody says, can we please talk about the Cardinals' 16-game winning streak? <laughs> yes, we'll get into that here as we go along. Uh, certainly haven't forgotten about that. Uh, John is with us. Good morning, John. Hey, good morning, guys. I don't think we had enough of negativity. What about that defense? These kids are playing their hearts out. I, I've never seen these guys do this. I didn't see it last year. But if you notice, even our defensive backs are poning, giving each other directions, and they're playing good. It's like clockwork orange. They mean business. The last two games showed an effort. I give a lot of credit to the defense. Yeah, they, they, particularly the run defense was really good. They they held them to, what, 38 yards was 38 it, Brian? yards rushing. They tackled yeah. well, I thought. I thought the tackling was the most crisp, particularly by the linebacker. I thought uh, Tolson and uh, Barnes. Mm-hmm. Were, were Tariq out, Barnes, yeah. They filled in really well for Hanson, who was absent for the game. And Witherspoon has been our best defensive back, and he was absent. Mm-hmm. Not there. So, no, you're right, John. Hanson's going to be – is he going to be good this week? Who? Who? Hanson. Uh, Hanson. I think it sounded like it sounded like that he thought both of the guys, as of last Thursday, probably wouldn't be able to play, which would indicate to me that maybe with another week that both of them would be back. I think one of them made the trip, and they waited until yeah, the Hansen final. Hanson made the trip. Hanson made the trip, yeah. and they made waited yeah. till the Hansen final. Got on the sideline. Mm. Yeah, and they made a decision that he couldn't play, but I would think he'd be back this week. Okay, great call. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. 9.55 at DWS. Woods Basement Systems, been around since 1986. 35 years in the business. That's a strong company. They're a top 10 basement dealer. Their warranty is backed by the National Manufacturer's Warranty, too, for extra peace of mind. You have a wet basement, basement wall cracks, bowing in the basement walls, a crawl space that's a mess. Call toll-free, 888-935-4333. Go online to woodsbasementsystems.com. 888-935-4333. They've won these uh, consecutive News Gazette's People's Choice Awards. Uh, they've done some things for me that have been great. If you have some water seeping in, a lot of rain maybe that's uh, a problem, or maybe your doors and windows don't quite shut right, uh, that's a problem. That's an indicator something's wrong, and those problems do not go away. Basement systems, all things basementy. 
Woods Basement Systems. Go online to woodsbasementsystems.com if you'd like to learn more. All right, some more on the Illini here, some text. The Illini are competing and playing hard. They're not giving up. That's a credit to Brett Bielma. Uh, those Fry, Iowa, and Wisconsin teams had huge offensive lines, too. They had the attitude they can move the ball two yards, especially with a big back that had 156 yards on the day. That's on the uh, text line. Texter says, why does anyone think Williams is that good a quarterback? He missed a wide-open receiver by 10 yards. Mike says, I've seen him do that in other games. And yeah, I, I think that the Williams uh, quarterback thing is long gone. And he's uh, still your leading receiver. He's caught yeah, more passes four, and four, yards. Than, four, four catches yesterday, but, uh, Saturday. But I just thought that, uh, I don't know, I, I – they just didn't didn't seem to get open uh, as as well, and particularly in that last drive, those last passes. Williams had a deep pass thrown to him, and the and the and the defender was all over him. That first pass had no chance; it was overthrown, but he couldn't have got it anyway. And uh, of course, as we said, the second pass was was uh, scheduled for uh, for Ford, and it looked like Ford went one direction, and and uh, Peters threw the other. I mean, he he was open. But it was just a, a mis- miscommunication, I would call it. And another email at talk at WDWS.com says there's a good chance the punt goes into the end zone, resulting in a 14-yard punt. That's right. Talking about the punt at uh, midway through the fourth. Yep. A field goal assures you of being less than a field goal down if they score, and they start at the 25. The- I, I would, To be perfectly honest, fourth and two, I would have kicked a field goal. That's mm-hmm. what I would have done. Mm-hmm. What would you have done? If it were me, yeah. I'd have gone for it. Gone for the fourth yeah, and two. I think so. Okay. At that point of the game. Well, but I, that's just me. With that much time in the game, I just figured Illinois is going to get the ball back. They can probably move the ball at midfield. They probably could get him back in range. Maybe we get five field goals again, you know, because that would have been the fourth <laughs> if you kicked a 51-yarder. Right. Mm-hmm. And the reason I was influenced was because how far the previous field goal, the one that he missed, mm-hmm. how far it went over the bar. It just was a barely to the right. And so the the length of the the kick wasn't a consideration, uh, other than it's harder to kick the ball that far straight. But if he kicked it straight, his strength would have been easy. He would have been easily over the uh, over the bar. And by that time of the game, the wind was blowing a little bit, not a lot, but it was blowing some out of the north, and would have been into the wind a little bit mm-hmm. too. So very very little wind though, mm-hmm. not enough to not enough to make a difference. I mean, he's kicking he's kicking off. Time after time, both directions through the game, and he's kicking the ball completely out of the end zone. Yep, he sure is. Amazing. I, uh, does anybody ever return a ball against Illinois? Has he had three returns all season? I think so. Not very many. Uh, Illinois, by the way, is a 10-point favorite against Charlotte. Last check. Somebody just texted in and let us know that. All right, uh, we've got the news coming up here from CBS. And then we'll continue. We will talk about the Cardinals, 16 straight wins. We'll do all that. The Ryder Cup, NFL action from yesterday as well. you got to promise you're going to give me a complete rundown on the ninth inning infield fly rule. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. But. <laughs> <laughs> WDWS Champagne Urbana. It's the second hour of A Penny for Your Thoughts with Brian Barnhart on News Talk 1400 WDWS. You can reach out to us on the phone at 217-356-9397, email talk at WDWS.com, or text on the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 
1-800-227-5357. Now, here's Brian Barnhart. Welcome back. Hour number two of A Penny for Your Thoughts on our Monday morning quarterback show. Tomorrow we'll have an hour of open line. We'll have uh, Paul Rudy's On the Money. At the end of the week, Illini Friday, and we've got two straight home games coming up here, including the homecoming game against Wisconsin here in a couple of weeks. So we'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the week as well. But get you ready for all the activity with Charlotte. Somebody mentioned Illinois, a 10-point favorite already against Charlotte on that. So that's interesting. Charlotte comes in, by the way, with I think they're 3-1. and one. They yeah, won a good win over Duke. And they, they won at Duke, and they won a high-scoring shootout with Middle Tennessee, mm-hmm. I think 42-39. So um, they come in with a lot of confidence, and they're in the same conference as UTSA. Mm-hmm. Same conference. Conference USA. So that'll be the game on uh, Saturday morning at 11, our game day coverage at 9 after Saturday Sports Talk. And, of course, you've got the Sports Talk guys tonight, uh, Scott in studio, and then you've got Steve Kelly and the News Gazette writers from the Esquire at five. All right, let's talk Cardinals because somebody asked us to. Well, we got we got to talk about the ninth inning first. Yes, okay. Because the Cubs. look, I've never seen so many people, intelligent major league umpires and players, make so many dumb decisions in one play. It's unbelievable. First of all, runners on first and second. If it's an infield fly, it's an automatic out. Right? He's out. The batter's out. Yep. He's out as soon as the ball reaches its peak because the umpire called him out. Right. So when Arenado tossed the ball to third base, what made the young think it was a force out? <laughs> He's a major league player. He knows the infield fly. You know, you got to tag the guy. Mm-hmm. And he throws it to second base, and they did the same thing like it was a force out. Yeah. So that's two dumb plays right in a row by DeYoung and and uh, and mainly by DeYoung and, and and not tagging the guy. If he tags the guy coming in from third to third base, the game is over. That's the third out. And then the guy on second. First of all, what made the Cubs run? They don't have to run. Mm-hmm. I know. I yeah, mean, the, yeah, don't run in that situation. That's really dumb. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was dumb and dumber. And then and then. When the guy walks off second base, and I think it was, uh, it might have been uh, um, Edmonds that, that tagged him, he should have been out, except I guess the umpire had already called time or something. What else could it be? Yeah, I don't know. That was very confusing. Very, yeah, confusing yeah. because the players didn't yeah, respond did. appropriately. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, that's that's really strange that nobody, and you know that, in, in the post game, they couldn't figure it out? On the TV? Yeah. yeah. What's to figure? I mean, it's not a force out when the, when the batter's out automatically. Yeah. But it doesn't happen very often. So, But, but you see infield flies a, a, a lot, and you, the, batters, uh, the runners just stay on their base, and, and the ball drops, or they catch it, and, and they go on with the game. But th- in this one, the, the Cubs decided to run, which they had no chance to run. And they were out by 20, 30 feet at third base, but the, but DeYoung didn't tag him. The Cardinals scored the tie-breaking run on a wild pitch in the ninth inning. Four to two went over the Cubs. They sweep the Cubs. They've won 16 in a row. Yep. They were two games over five hundred when this streak started. 
And that's something. And now they're down to a magic number of one for clinching the second National League wild card. Seven games to go, huh? Six games to go. Yeah, so they're going to be able to rest people or get their rotation lined up for the one game playoff, basically. Yeah. Yep. So they'll be able to. Who do, do that. you want to pitch in that? By the way, well, they don't have a standout pitcher. It'll be Wainwright. I, I think guess. you start with Wainwright and just all hands on deck. Last I think, game he the... gave up a grand slam in the first inning. <laughs> Two of the Cubs, wasn't it? And there was a story in the Wall Street Journal headline today. So with 16 straight wins, the Cardinals may never lose again. <laughs> uh, when the Cardinals woke up on July 30th, the morning of baseball's annual trade deadline, they appeared to be out of contention. Yeah, Their record had been hovering around 500 for six weeks. They were eight games out of a wild card spot. 2% chance of uh, advancing. 2% chance of advancing to the playoffs. The Padres, meanwhile, were cruising. They were comfortably on their way to surpassing 90 wins, seemed destined for October, living up to the immense hype that followed them all winter and justifying their World Series aspirations, their playoff odds on July 30th were just shy of 90%. <laughs> and the Padres just got eliminated they sure from did. the postseason. It's amazing that all those teams collapsed at the same time that the Cardinals were trailing. I mean, it wasn't just that the Cardinals won, but the Padres and the Phillies had problems. The Mets just fell off completely. And, uh, you know, they, they, I, I can't believe what happened to the Padres. They paid so much money for that team, and here they are out of the playoffs. So second long, the 16-game winning streak, the longest winning streak in franchise history, as we know, the longest for a National League team since 1951 for the Cardinals. And the Cardinals just overall, uh, Tyler O'Neill said earlier this month, September baseball, here to win, that's what we do as Cardinals. says the Cardinals have won more games than any other National League team this century and are closing in on their 15th playoff appearance over that span. So. Based on what you know, who is the most valuable player on the Cardinal team? Goldschmidt, O'Neill, or Arenado? Oh, I think it's Arenado. Okay. Just based on his numbers all year. Well, Bernie Miklas says it's, it's uh, Goldschmidt. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. He, he, that, he wrote a column on it, and, and he gave his reasons. And I think he – but you're right. I mean, for RBIs uh, and for third base play is just unbelievable. He's the best defensive player I've ever seen. And I saw Brooks Robinson, and I've seen them all. I, you know, I just – gee. I mean, he's better than Roland defensively. Now, he's erratic offensively. He's not hitting a good percentage. He's down around 250, I think, or low or lower. But he's got the 103 RBIs, which, mm-hmm. which is awfully good. And but I think uh, Goldsmith's going to hit 100 before it's over. He only needs two more in the last six games. I'm wondering if if um, do you do you rest these guys? They're going to have today off. Do you rest these guys or do you just keep them playing when they're hot? Huh? What do you do? <laughs> I don't know. It's a good question, and I I don't want to pour water. I mean, the Cardinal fans are enjoying this ride, obviously. Yeah. But it is going to come down to one game. It is coming down and to then, one so game. So no matter how hot they've been or whatever, it's going to be one game. But yeah. it has been fun. For and sure. I fear they're going to face a pitcher that's better than their pitcher. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's probably true. Uh, by the way, the uh, Padres meltdown uh, last week, of course, during a game in St. Louis, a video circulated widely. On uh, social media, Manny Machado, the Padres' $300 million third baseman, was screaming in the dugout at Fernando Tatis Jr., their $340 million shortstop. I and saw the, that, yeah. The two, two players say they've reconciled the issues behind them, but the episode provided an unfiltered glimpse into a team that's in free fall. Uh, through Saturday, the Padres had gone 6-15 and 15 in September. So It's not about you. That's what he said. It's not about you. <laughs> 
So there you go, Cardinal fans. You got the, the talk about Just remember about one thing. There's seven games behind the Brewers. That's right. The Brewers outplayed them mm-hmm. for the season. That's right. And the Brewers did clinch, by the but way. What really matters is where you are right now. That's right. And I don't know where the Cardinals are right now relative to their pissing staff because it sounds like Lester maybe have is hurt. Uh, they may pass him up on his next start. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how serious. I don't think it's serious. And, but I don't know. Uh, I, I've, I've never seen a team this good, this hot, with such and I'm going to use this word carefully here, mediocre starting pitching. And it isn't mediocre now. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're pitching great. Yeah. But if you look at it, is this the staff you want to go into next year with? Well, I mean, the, the, for next year, yeah. The good news is, as you know, Lauren, in the postseason, you only need, really need about three starters. I know it. I mean, basically. And that's what the Dodgers have. Yeah. <laughs> three great starters. you got three great starters. That's right. 10-17. All right, some more on this infield fly. Uh, Lauren, they showed the second base umpire throw his arms in the air for timeout before that's, the tag. Exactly. Housed. Exactly. That's why, that's why they didn't call him out. And the reason, but why did he do that? Why did he? Why did he throw his? Why did he call time? What? What was the purpose? Did anybody ask him to call time? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, another texture says the reason Ortega left second base is because the ump called him out, so he messed up too, and that's why the Cardinal manager was so mad. That's right. And once the umpire called him out, that was a dumb play by the umpire because it wasn't a force out, and he was just correcting himself by calling time out. The, uh, Am I right on that? I, I, I think that's why right. else would he? Have, why, well, yeah. He did call timeout. Why? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you've got the combination of factors there that were confusing. But the guy, the guy didn't slide off the base. He just walked off the base, thinking he was out. All right, Jeff's been waiting here. We got the long, detailed uh, infield fly rule here. Uh, somebody <laughs> said, "Hey, Jeff, uh, how are you, sir?" <laughs> Very well, thank you. Uh, how are you guys doing? Good. Good. Great, great. I had one simple question just listening to you guys talk about the infield fly rule, and it's this. If the infield fly rule is, is called, is the play dead from that point? No, no. You I'm can advance sure. at your own discretion. Advance at your own risk, right? Okay. okay. Listen, when I, played, when I played infield years ago, and I put shortstop, and there was an infield fly. We run it on first and second. I always let the ball drop to see if the guy was dumb enough to run off second base because the batter's already out. I never caught the ball. Why would you catch the ball? If it's coming straight down, you just let it drop and see if the guy's dumb enough to run. Well, the instinct is to catch it. you know. Just Well, of course the instinct's to catch it, but, I mean, why would you catch it? The guy's already out. You don't have to catch it. There might be somebody on second base silly enough to try to run to third, and you just pick the ball up and throw it over there and tag him. As soon as the guy surely knows to tag him. By the way, that double play the Cubs ran themselves into. Mm-hmm. Somebody said that's basically sums up the Cubs season. Yeah, that, that was double a, play. That was a phone number. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Somebody's probably got the number. It went. I somebody of Kaiser I could, showed it to me. I but. could do it if you gave me time to start. Yeah. Oh, I can do it. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Jeff. I'm sorry. No, no worries. Um, I wanted, actually, if I may, to uh, bring up the Ryder Cup. Mm, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's the other big news. Yeah, uh, I can't tell you how uh, delighted I was with that. Um, 
I've had the experience of being in London when Europe has won the Ryder Cup here. And <laughs> let's put it this way. It's not pleasant. If you've ever been in a Cubs bar on the north side of Chicago when the, when the Cubs pull off a come-from-behind win against the Cardinals, it's that kind of experience on steroids. And it doesn't vanish from the British press for at least a month, sometimes longer. So um, when we blew them away this weekend, I, was ha- I happened to look at the London Daily Telegraph this morning, and oh my goodness, <laughs> um, it's, there's a headline that says, Europe, beware, these kids, these American kids can play, and they're young, and they're going to be here for a long time. And there was the typical, uh, I thought it was kind of sour grapes, complaining about how uh, the U.S. players were spitting on the cores. Um, I don't know. I didn't see that. And how uh, obnoxious the fans were. I don't know about that particularly. Yeah. But yeah. I was I was delighted for Steve Stricker because um, I remember the 2012 one very well. I wasn't... Uh, I wasn't feeling very well during uh, the Ryder Cup, and I was watching it on TV, and I thought going into the Sunday, I thought, well, we've got a nice lead. We should win this. And then, um, of course, they they pulled off a huge comeback. Um, soon after the start of 2013, I was in London trying to uh, trying to feel a little bit better and staying with some some close friends. And I go out for a walk and I pass a a newsstand and there's prominently displayed is this paperback that says, that's entitled, Miracle at Medina, Europe's History-Making Comeback. Well, I'd like to think that uh, that ghost is now buried forever. And I know Steve was prominent in that because he missed Mm. a a key putt on the last Mm. day. And I hope he's feeling a lot better. I, I just, I'm not a golf enthusiast normally. The two events that uh, get my blood boiling as far as golf goes are the Masters and the Ryder Cup. And this was, this may be the best one ever. <laughs> I'm yeah. not uh, a historian of it, <laughs> but uh, it yep. may it may be the the most satisfying one ever. It's Absolutely, Lauren, Good. did you? Did you see any of it? Uh, yeah, I saw a lot of it, and, and I tell you, I, the only thing that, uh, that confused me particularly yesterday was uh, when you got twelve guys playing and they're, and they're skipping those uh, uh, TV, uh, you know, the view around to the, to the different holes. That sometimes it was hard for me to keep up, particularly when I had the Cardinals on on the other TV or the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> and you're trying to figure out the infield fly thing. Yeah, I'm yeah. trying to figure. Yeah. <laughs> I had the same experience, so I was listening uh, to the Cardinals on the radio and trying to follow uh, the Ryder Cup on another feed, but I know what you mean. Yep. Well, thank you, Jeff. My pleasure. Pre- appreciate the guys. phone call. Yeah, it's. Uh, I know we had several people from here locally that went up to Whistling Straits, you know, to see it. It kind of was on their bucket list to see a, a Ryder Cup. And for those who are not golf aficionados, so to speak, normally – you have crowds at PGA events. There are a lot of signs up that say "Quiet, please" or "Be quiet." Oh yeah, it's I mean this is totally different. Yeah. This is like you know yeah. rah you know rah rah cheer for our team kind of stuff. And um, it's uh, I remember who was it? Um, Colin Montgomery was always mixing it up with the 
American crowds at the at the Ryder Cup. Oh, I think crowds over the next one will be in in Rome, and hmm. two years from now, and I bet you they'll be rowdy over there too. <laughs> It's just different if you're used to seeing golf oh, yeah. crowds a certain oh, yeah. way. This will shock you because it's like, whoa, the, yeah. why are they yelling at that guy? You know, what are they doing? So it's that's just fun. a constant roar in the background. Right. It's the worst ever loss for Europe uh, by the U.S. since it became uh, ever by uh, 1909, since it became part of the Ryder Cup, the half point. Among the accomplishments of the 12 player team led by Steve Stricker, the U.S. didn't lose a session for the first time in 44 years. Dustin Johnson, the first American to go 5-0 since 1979. And the six rookies scored more points than all the European players combined. Europe had won nine of the last 12 Ryder Cups. Hmm. So there you go. That's some of the interesting numbers on that. By the way, I think, uh, Blake, we have a cut from uh, Steve Stricker. Let's uh, hear from the former Illini, if we get a chance, about what he uh, thought about the um, all that happened there up at uh, Whistling Straits. Yeah, it was a special week all the way around. You know, I don't know, I don't know what else to say, and I've said it a number of times all all week long, and and how these guys came together, how they they started two weeks ago when they all showed up here uh, for the practice round, and I could see the uh, the camaraderie then, could see the willingness to uh, prepare and and to get ready for this event. And they did, and they won it. All right, ten twenty six. Quick break. News headlines coming up here at the bottom of the hour. More text, emails, and uh, phone calls welcome here as we head for 11 o'clock. Lauren Tate with us. If you miss any of the show today, we had Dave Revson on off the top from BTN, our guest quarterback today. And you can go to WDWS.com later today for the podcast. Back in a moment. Minutes ago in the third, tied at six with Purdue. After they just picked off a pass in the back of the end zone. Snap back to Peters, hands to McCray, Bigel up the middle. 35-40, here he goes. 50-40 to the 35, and they finally pull him down. McCray with a big gainer, points in the direction of the other end zone, says, I've got myself a first down. Yeah, man, we're here at Purdue, and that was a runaway freight train. They're just <laughs> running right up the left hash, fighting defenders the whole way. And, boy, Josh McCray is a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, we've had some big uh, gains, numbers put up by true freshmen over time. Keyshawn Vaughn had a big game at Purdue one year. Uh, of course, um, Isaiah Williams, uh, Juice Williams, had a big game as a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaiah Williams himself ran for a lot of yards against Rutgers. I'll say. You know, so there's been some big games like that. But McCray uh, was, you know, he was chunking up a lot of the big yardage for Illinois. This looks like a real deal. This is the thing they're going to build their offense around in the future. I think. And they were using a lot of tight ends, they too. Light, yeah, they, they were oh, lining yeah. up Pilstrom at tight end. They I, were, I don't know where Barker was a lot of the game. They had Riemann, Ryman, Riemann mm-hmm. in Ryman. the ballgame a lot and, of course, uh, Ford. But I, something, Barker just kind of disappeared on us as far as the pass receiver is concerned. And I'm not sure what, why. I tried to ask that question today at, at the press conference. And you said uh, Fred Gertz was a good outfielder? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's going to be on tomorrow. And yeah, the, he's. He, I remember Fred as a ball player, yes. <laughs> was he fast? He was on our team. Was he fast? Fast, fast and, and hit the long ball. <laughs> <laughs> Fred Gertz will be on with Paul Rudy and company tomorrow at 10 o'clock here on uh, Penny for Your Thoughts. All right, we've got a detailed explanation of the infield fly rule, and maybe an explanation. We'll see about all of that from John. Coming up after the news here with Michael Kaiser on DWS. I 
the Cardinal manager, Mike Schilt, on a 16-game winning streak. Franchise record for the uh, Cardinals. And they have the day off a week to go. Their magic number is one for clinching that second playoff spot. My bet is they're going to get it. So uh, (laughs) look forward to the one-game playoff here coming up. Uh, For graduates, earning a regular income can give the illusion of security, budget for needs and wants. Make sure you do that. Save for retirement. Contribute at least enough to... Get the full match from your employer if they offer that. Pay off student loans for your your graduate and plan for emergencies. For couples, understand your financial history. Understand income, how you're paid and debt. A joint or separate bank account. Agree on how you pay the bills. Make sure your future together is solid. Parents, consider the impact a child will have on living expenses, initial expenses, daycare, education and emergencies. And for empty nesters, you may spend less day-to-day over new expenses like your Child's college expenses may emerge. Itemize, categorize, prepare for retirement, look at long-term care. And for retirees, prepare for health care costs, decide whether to keep the mortgage or pay off the house. No matter your stage in life, Busey is there to be with you, standing with you. Busey.com, 1-800-67-BUSEY, to budget for life, expert advice to guide you through every important decision. All right, the Bears got beat yesterday by Cleveland, 26-6. to the uh, new quarterback from Ohio State, Justin Fields, got sacked nine times. Not all his fault, but he was having a tough day back there. Uh, also, the Colts fell to the Titans, 25-16. The Packers scored with, what, 30 seconds left or had the ball? Oh, with well, he got the ball with 37 seconds yeah. left, and made, he completed two passes, Rodgers did, and then they kicked a field goal to win it. Packers went over the 49ers 30-28, to and there was a 66-yard field goal at the gun yesterday. In Detroit, as the Ravens uh, kicker, Justin Ticker, hit the bottom crossbar and bounced through the uprights from 66. That ball bounced straight up in the air. I'm going to guess 15 feet at least, way up. Maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit, but it went way up and barely came down on the, on the plus side for, for, the, for the winning field goal. There rarely are blowouts in the NFL. Everything is usually Every, oh, yeah. pretty close. Uh, the Browns game was an exception. Uh, the Bills blew out Washington 43-21. Uh, the uh, Cardinals had a uh, missed field goal that was returned for a touchdown by Jacksonville, mm-hmm. but the Cardinals came back to win. Yep. Uh, Rams ended Tampa Bay's long uh, winning streak. Tampa Bay hadn't lost going back to last year, of course. Tom Brady, how old is Tom Brady? 40-something? Yeah, and he, and uh, he, uh, he had a good game statistically, yeah. but he lost. 41 of 55 for 432 yards. <laughs> Over 400 yards. That's not a bad day. But he lost. So there's the bottom line is they lost the game. Uh, and the Bengals beat the Steelers 24-10. to 10. Joe Burrow, who the Bengals quarterback just got beat by the Bears last week, 178 yards and three touchdowns. So anyway, lots of uh, interesting NFL news from yesterday. Again, the Brewers clinched the NL Central, second time in four years. Mentioned the Cardinals, the White Sox, of course, getting ready for the postseason. They clinched here recently. So we're in the final week, and we're getting down to the wire as far as that goes. All right, and this is the anniversary of Mark McGuire hitting his record-breaking 69th and 70th home runs on this day, 1998, back then. And 25 years ago, it was the day that Baltimore Orioles second baseman Roberto Alomar spit in the face of the umpire John Hirschbeck was suspended for five games. That was on this day in 1996. All right, John in Forsyth says the play in Chicago did have a lots of moving parts. However, the three rules must be satisfied for a ball to be an infield fly. 
There must be runners on first and second, or the bases must be loaded. There must be no outs or one out in the inning. The batter must hit a fly ball or a pop-up, not a line drive, over fair territory and in the vicinity of the infield. It is not a requirement that the ball not reach the outfield grass. Rather, the umpire must use his judgment as to whether an infielder or the pitcher or catcher could make the catch using, quote, ordinary effort. That's right. Now, I've got a question that I can't answer. That ball, with the batter already called out, must be a fair ball, right? And if he hadn't picked that ball up, it was going to be foul. Hmm. Don't you think? Did you see it rolling? It, it, it hit spun, it hit, and, and it was a, he picked it up just barely inside the, the line. If you've already called the man out and the ball winds up bouncing foul, what's the rule? Yeah. I think you're out. <laughs> I if think. You, John goes on, if you, if you, if you rewatch the play, DeYoung may not have seen the late calling of infield fly by the third base umpire, nor heard it. But there were two of them that called it at the same time. It was apparent the second base umpire was not aware it was an infield flyer. He would have called time as the ball is still live. He wouldn't have called time, yeah. Would not have called time, yes. That's right. The play ended up not a, quote, ordinary effort as Arenado from the get-go had to try to sprint to make the catch. So, I don't know. That's just what John says in Forsyth, so. Well, he he had a long way to he had a long it was mm-hmm. between home and first um but and, he, and you said you remember a playoff game where there was oh, a there game was a, decided Oh, it's a tremendous debate over that playoff game against the Braves way back in you know, I don't know what year it was Brian we were on the road on a Friday night probably it was a football game mm-hmm. I think maybe and uh, we were watching the Cardinals play and and the ball, the, the shortstop went out to get the, and, and the, it wasn't an infield fly. The umpire should not have called it an infield fly, but he did. And the ball was not caught, and the, and the Braves were, and the fans were really upset about that. Card's got a tremendous break on that play. I would have to, you know, go back and, get, I don't know the score. I don't, I just know it was a really crucial play. I'm sure it's on YouTube. Yeah. Somewhere. Yeah. Out there. Everything is. Everything is. 1042 at DWS. Let's go to Eric up next here on A Penny for Your Thoughts. Hi, Eric. Hey, good morning, guys. I just wanted to talk a little bit about the Big Ten in general and a little Illinois football. Um, Minnesota, 30-point favorites losing at home to Bowling Green. That's astonishing. The Bowling Green is really bad. Um, Graham Mertz has never played as good as he did against Illinois and, and in the next game, Michigan, last year since. I think it was like 23 of 25 in that Illinois game last year, something like that. And um, and they got blown away by Notre Dame, although that score was was misleading. It was a very close game until the tick sixes started happening. I don't know if you caught that one. Mm-hmm. Um, Two of them. Yeah. Right. So that that score is very misleading. Um, and then Illinois, I you know I hope. I hope the quarterback for next year isn't on the roster right now because uh, there's a it's free agency out there as you know, Lauren. I mean, Ohio State's got guys. Their third string quarterback would be the best quarterback you know Illinois could ever find. It to say for transfers and all that, they got guys that will never play out there that are backups that are that are way way better than than Sitkowski would be if he's the quarterback for next year, which. I really hope that's what they're they're looking at is something in the transfer. Well, every uh, every area. coach wants to have his own quarterback, and and they they they're, you know, they're not happy with Collier, they're not happy with Span, obviously, they're not happy with Williams, they're not happy with Robinson, and uh, they, of course they've they've moved uh, Span and they've moved uh, Williams mm-hmm. and they've moved Taylor. You have so, the Ryan Johnson 
from uh, Northern Michigan. Yeah, and, he, and I think there's a he's, he'll be a consideration. He might he is probably the Has next quarterback to come in if they if they're going to make a change. Wouldn't you think? I mean, after the after the yeah. two, but I but uh, they also got a guy named Leary coming in from the East, uh, who is their recruit, who they like. I don't know whether he's ready to compete next year or not. He'll be a freshman next year. But you're right. I mean, they'll be looking at the at the transfer market. They're probably going to try to bring in between five and seven transfers before it's all over. But the reason I mentioned Ohio State is, I mean, I, I looked and like their backup quarterback is like uh, uh, Miller, like the best player from the state of Arizona. They mm-hmm. just took the kid from Texas who's got like a two million dollar NIL as the third string. He left high school early to go to Ohio State. How are those guys ever going to see the field when the guy they got starting now is you know like a sophomore? Uh, I forgot his name. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Well, if I'm a, if I'm getting that kind of nil money at Ohio State, I'm not leaving. <laughs> <laughs> not going anywhere. The, the whole time, though. <laughs> yeah, they're never going to play. That's the pro- that's what I'm saying. There's, there's plenty of guys that are really really good that are never going to see the field mm-hmm. at some of these places like that. And I mean, Big Ten transfers. I mean, within the conference all the time. Look at Jeff George is a perfect example, right? Well, you know that they've got one so. guy over there who's doing nothing. But analyzing the possible transfers, I mean that that's I now so. a, that's now a part of the operation. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah, you got to have it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so anyway, uh, and, and one one last thing about uh, with Bielema, you know, I you know I prefer that they that they go for these plays to try to win games because what do you have to lose anyway? I mean, they're not going to a bowl game. The season's basically you know over or you know useless or whatever. So. You're better off. You're damned if you do, or you're damned if you don't. I'd rather be damned if I do. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think you've got to you got to kind of play like, even though you're ahead, you got to play like you're behind. Nobody can do Absolutely. that that I've ever seen, though. I say that, and you just can't do it. There's just something about mm. in basketball. You see it a thousand times a year. Mm. It's just you can't play yeah. basketball. When you got a lead, you you become conservative. Yeah. Well, I've I've never met a coach so worth his salt that ever gives up on a season. I mean, oh, they, no. they play every game oh, like yeah. it's the game. He's right. The players are resilient yeah, too. They're, they're, you know, they're, he's not going to give up right. on it, and they're not going to. So. All right. Okay. All right. Well, you guys have a good show. Thanks Thank a lot. you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Ten forty six. Another break here on a penny for your thoughts. Glad you're with us here on this Monday. I have an hour of open line tomorrow. We'll have uh, Paul Rudy's on the money in the ten o'clock hour. A week from Wednesday, not this Wednesday, but a week from Wednesday, Justice Robert Steigman. And Doug Quick will drop in with us. He's retiring, long-time broadcaster in the market. All of that in the weeks ahead here as we roll into October here later this week, 1047. Dave Miller, Bill Gallo, very passionate about what they do, the Gallo-Miller paint and collision repair folks out there on the south side of I-74 between the Neal and Prospect exits. Dave and Bill know the collision repair business inside and out. Dave spent a number of years as an insurance adjuster before returning to his first love, fixing cars. Before starting Gallo-Miller, Bill successfully ran body shops at other notable businesses in the area. It's on the south side of I-74 between the Neal and and prospect exits, big dent, little ding, doesn't matter. They'll do a great job for you, top quality, and uh, they've got a very attractive building there. You can check out all the things, all the services they offer at gallomiller.com, gallomiller.com, or give them a call if you'd like. Uh, give them a call, 217-353-0770, and again, they'll take all of the stress out of having an accident or having your car damaged and make you uh, feel as good as you can with a uh, 
factory specification renewal of your vehicle. By the way, that uh, double play, you've got something? Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to read the numbers. Okay. Uh, the old against the Cubs, the old 325-54286 double play. First baseman, catcher, third baseman, then got the out. Third baseman, second baseman, catcher, center fielder, shortstop. Double play. Yep. To get out of the jam. It was Goldschmidt to Yachty to Rosarina to Edmonds to Yachty to Bader to DeYoung. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was fun. I got a couple stats. You got yes, yes, go this ahead. This just shows you how crazy things are. You know about Michigan State in the second half has no first downs and wins in overtime without a first down, okay, against, against Nebraska. Nebraska yep. So Nebraska's got to be miserable. They dominated the whole second half, but they lost. Now here's another one. Notre Dame is what? What's their record? Undefeated, undefeated. right? Yep. Undefeated. They rank dead last among 130 schools in yards rushing before contact. You didn't even know there was such a stat as that, did you? <laughs> no. <laughs> I didn't either. But they're last in, in rushing before contact. Isn't that amazing? Because you I hear mean, a lot about yards undefeated. after contact. Huh? You hear a lot about yards after contact. Yeah. But this is, this is, in other words, they're getting hit before anybody else. But you know what? The difference with them is they have a passing game and Wisconsin doesn't. What a difference. Yeah. I mean, Wisconsin was, was – Playing them physically, but the next thing you know, they throw two interceptions for touchdowns. And then uh, the Iowa Hawkeyes hold another team down offensively. They and don't, do you they, know they, some of their fans were booing because they didn't win by enough? Oh yeah. Well, yeah. I heard uh, I heard Oklahoma talk shows this last oh, week. I was listening to one day. They didn't win by enough, did they? No. And they are like, what are they ranked? Third or fourth in the poll? Mm-hmm. You know, favorites. They're going to go to the SEC. They got all this stuff going for them, and their fans were griping. Well, saying, sure. "Well, we're not. We don't. We're not going to win a national title. We're not very good." West Virginia, like you guys are fourth in the country. West whatever. Virginia had a chance to beat them. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, it's um, interesting perspective. Uh, umpires are directed to say infield fly if fair when the ball is declared if by the infielder. That way, it if it did, as Lauren correctly noted, did go foul. It would not be an infield fly. Okay. But you've already called the guy out. I know. <laughs> if you've already called him out and the ball rolls foul, does that negate the play? Uh, infield fly is on. What is it? Infield fly is on uneffect on fair ball. I don't quite understand what that means. Correct call is infield fly if fair. I guess is what they're saying. Okay. Yeah. Well. Yeah. No, we that's just, that was certainly a fair ball, but it, I, I'm. Pretty well convinced in my own mind, if if uh, Arenado hadn't picked it up, that it would have rolled foul. It was spinning that way. Let's go back to the phones. I'd have to look at it again to be sure. Rob joins us next. Hi, Rob. Hey, guys. How you doing? I just wanted to talk. I hope today at the Bill and the press conference we don't hear that, that Peters is our man. Should not have been our man after the Maryland game. Uh, to me, the ending of the Purdue game and the Maryland game are no different. Uh, throw four, throw four away like it is the same as taking three sacks at the end of the game, which both of them are totally inexcusable. And uh, I'm not saying Stokowski's the man, but I can tell you this: I can guarantee you Peters is not. We just look at the history here between his injuries and bad games. He's had five good games since he's been here, and that was against two against Rutgers, one against Nebraska, one against Michigan State, and all four of them teams were like us, very poor. And then we did have a good win against Wisconsin. 
Other than that, he has, he should be done, no doubt about it. But again, I go all back to Lovey Smith. This is all on Lovey Smith. That was a money grab from the Smith family. I mean, just look at the money spent in this whole regime, probably $30 million between Lovey, his kid, and Hardy Nickerson, who never recruited a lick. And uh, anyway, I just hope Bill will turn it around here. But, man, it's, it's so far in the ground, it's going to take a long, long time to build this back well, It's up. not any further That's in the ground than when he started. Thank, thanks, Rob. Yeah. Appreciate it. You know, I mean, and Dave Revson mentioned the transfer. Look at Michigan State. Nobody was giving them any kind of yep. hope this year. Yep. And here they are with uh, several transfers. By the way, Charlotte, defensively, at least half of their defense is transfers. Is that right? Yeah, I've already done the, uh-huh. the sheet. I mean, it's just one after another after another, and from pretty big schools, too. Sure. Not just, you know, small but, schools. By the way, you're missing Michigan State. I think their running back is from USC, Walker. He still leads the nation in rushing right now, even though he got hurt uh, late in the ballgame, I guess. He's been impressive. Uh, Cardinals MVP is Wainwright. A listener says, college football is upside down this year. Oregon State beat USC in Los Angeles first time since 1960 when Eisenhower was still president. Uh, let's go to John here with a couple of minutes to go. Hi, John. Hey, I'm the guy that's been fa- emailing you, and I apologize for my grammar. I type too fast and don't proofread <laughs> That's okay. No, it's not. But anyway, I wanted to explain. Actually, Lauren, and you brought the good point up about that. Nobody ever, never, really said that, or even in the paper wrote about it. But an umpire is directed when the ball looks like it could be foul. He's directed to say infield fly if fair. He's to, oh, he's to add that, and then then that supposedly will protect the umpire. Obviously, okay. But it will, even if he doesn't say that and it goes foul, it's a foul ball and it's not infill fly. Is that right? Okay, even yeah. though he's already called him out. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. he called infill fly. He hadn't quite called. He's called infill fly, which does call him out. But you're right. Uh, if the ball goes foul, there's there's not going to be an infill fly. Okay. He let it touch. And you you're the only one. I've read a lot of stories on this and watched it and heard commentators. You're the only one that pointed that out. So good for you. Well, thank you, John. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. And if you think about it, you can still get, though, like a sacrifice fly on a foul ball. Oh, yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, that's interesting. You know, if a guy catches it in foul, you can advance for home. You sure that counts as an RBI? I'm pretty sure. Okay. Yeah. It would make sense, but I'm not sure. Because sometimes they say, well, you shouldn't have caught it. You know, because yeah. it was a long running catch, and he had to catch. Well, I've seen guy I've up. seen first baseman running out, you know, and running away from the infield to catch a foul yeah. ball and fall down, and the guy on third he's tagging because you know, why yeah. not? Because yeah. it's a foul ball, and then he runs on in. Would that be an RBI? I guess I would it think would. So yeah, I don't know why it wouldn't be. I'd have to look that up though. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> there's all kinds. I'll of take rules. your word for it. Uh, there's all kinds of rules. Uh, okay, I don't know. I've got an extra here email. I'm not sure what to make of it. All right, uh, 10.58 at News Talk 1400. I'll, I'll look at it tomorrow. I've got more time. I'm running up against the clock right now. And uh, real quick, Lauren, we got less than 30 seconds, but Peter Palmer passed away. Peter Palmer passed away uh, right after the day after his 90th birthday down in Shelbyville, Kentucky. And uh, he was cremated the next day, and his whole entire family was there to celebrate his 90th birthday. And um, Peter, great guy, played a, for the Illini in 1953. He was a blocker for for J.C. Caroline, who set who led the nation in rushing that year in '53, and they tied for the Big Ten championship and didn't go to the Rose Bowl because yeah. that's where your Michigan State went. Boy, what a life, though! Yeah, amazing. Yep. Thank you, Lauren. Yeah.
Good stuff today. Appreciate it. A lot of talk about the infield fly. That's interesting. <laughs> All right, 1059, the weather's next. WDWS, Champaign-Urbana.